Hello and welcome back to the God Story Podcast. I'm Brent Siddle and I'm joined once again by the Reverend Ian Reid of King's Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston North, New Zealand. Rido, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, today we're back in Mark and we've had a a fascinating time looking at Mark, haven't we, over the last few weeks? And looking at Mark chapter 3, verses 20 to 35. Now, Ian, what did we say, what did we see happening in Mark last time with all this opposition? to the Lord Jesus. Mm. So we're seeing growing opposition towards Jesus. People, particularly the religious experts, do not like him. He doesn't fit their mould. He isn't what they're expecting. He isn't the saviour that they want. Uh, and this is going to come to a head later, kind of towards the end of the book. But we do we, we see a plot is kind of afoot with trying to kill Jesus. Yes, and uh, st- rather startlingly and shockingly written by Mark too, the way it's described. Anyway, in what sense is this section of Mark about an investigation? Well, two, two, two investigations actually, and two charges. Yeah, so you have two different groups of people coming to Jesus and to investigate what's going on. One is his family, and then the others are the religious experts, the teachers of the law is what it, it calls them both of them coming to Jesus and trying to work out what's going on, trying to work out who he is. What are the two possible views of Jesus that Mark presents us with in these in this passage today? Well, the, from the family side, it's that he's mad. <laughs> and from the other, from the, um, the kind of the religious experts view, it's that he's bad. And uh, But we're going to see that he's neither of those things. I think that we're going to see that he's Lord. And in what sense is the section what you call and what scholars call a Mark sandwich, Mark's sandwiches. Well, yes, because what you have is you have a story and then that story gets interrupted with another story. So you've got the bread on one side, then you've got the filling, the second story, but then we return back to the original story at the end. And so it's kind of a a Mark and sandwich. Is that a technical term or not? Have you come across it? Uh, Peter Bolt at Moore uh, taught us all about Mark Mark sandwiches in in New Testament. Yes, he talked about... So it's like Mark takes two bits of bread, like two ends of a story, and puts the filling in between. Mm. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting. And Mm. Mark does it on on a number of occasions, Mm. uh, but it's it's an interesting story device. Yes, I I think Mark would have been totally at home in Hollywood because it's a sort of like a film editing technique where yeah. you just you have you suddenly switch to another story and then come back to the second half of the first one but anyway so verses 20 to 21 of chapter 3 then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat and when his family heard it presumably they heard that he they couldn't eat so he wasn't eating they went out to seize him for they were saying he is out of his mind now Okay, this is our first scene. Where does our first scene take place? So where are we? We, we uh, are back near Jesus' home, probably Capernaum, on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus spent a lot of time there. And it seems like most of Mark is kind of based around that area, Galilee, but particularly Capernaum, particularly the first part of it. Uh, so Jesus is back home, and uh, there's a crowd gathered there again. We don't know if it's in his house or not, but it's kind of somewhere around there. Mm. How do Jesus, this is the first interrogation, presumably, or the first investigation, isn't it? They've come to find out why he's not having his dinner. Yep. Uh, how do Jesus' family react to his ministry here then? So they, th- they think he's out of his mind because he's not eating. That, that, that's the problem, is that clearly he's, he's not eating, he's not looking after himself, or something, you know, something's going wrong. And so uh, they've come to it says seize him. You know, they come to take control of him because he can't look after himself. And in what sense is this an investigation? 
well, they've come to kind of work it out. You know, they're on, on the quest to kind of work out what's going on. Um, and so that's where the kind of the story ends, is that, that they haven't come to seize him just yet. They're, they're, they've heard about it and they're kind of on the way to go get him. Yes, you can imagine his mum, I'm concerned about him, he's not having his dinner. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, verses 22 to 30 of chapter 3. And the scribes who came, so this is the next investigation, presumably, Ian. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem, this is a deputation by the sound of it. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said he has an unclean spirit." A lot to unpack there. Now, yep. who is responsible for the second investigation in this section? So in verse 22 there, it says that they're the scribes and they've come from Jerusalem. Now, the NIV talk, talk tells us that they're the teachers of the law. And you actually had to go through exams to, to kind of... So you had formal training, you went through exams to become kind of accredited as a teacher of the law. And they kind of had a, a place, you know, kind of a council maybe in Jerusalem. And it seems like they've come to... They've, they've set, set out a delegation to formally go and see what this Jesus that they've heard about, what he's on about. And what do the scribes accuse him of? That he's possessed. And so that it's by Satan that, he, that he's doing these things. And so it's basically Jesus is bad, he's evil. Mm. Now, what is Jesus' response to them there in verses 23 to 27? He, kind of, he says it's a logical fallacy, basically. <laughs> You know, kind of, he uses he uses logic to kind of say this can't be true. You know, why would Satan drive out you know kind of demons? That doesn't make sense. Wouldn't he want more people possessed rather than less people possessed? And so he kind of uses you know Jesus uses logic to kind of defeat them, saying it just doesn't make it doesn't make sense. That that is not evidence to say that I'm evil. Actually, it's evidence to show that I'm really who I'm saying I am, the Son of God. Mm. And then we get verses 28 to 30 in this passage about the sin or blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, what is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit here? Now, so many people worry about this verse, don't they? Mm. And it, it becomes such a huge issue for, for so many people that I did, did this or said this or I've... Uh, kind of, you know, committed some, some a certain sin, or I might have committed the sin against the Holy Spirit at some point in my life without knowing it. Yeah, I know, and people get very, very um, kind of upset and and quite very worried about that. But we need to see it in context of what's going on here. They come, they've come, and they are saying to Jesus, "You are evil. You know, you are not the Son of God." That is the sin, the sin against the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit reveals who Jesus is. And so to sin against the Holy Spirit is to say, no, Jesus isn't the Son of God. And I think it's that, that's kind of simple. And, and so rather than kind of make it this big mystical thing that we need to be worried about, I want to simplify it as much as possible and just say, if we deny that Jesus is the Son of God, 
if we deny the revelation of what's going on here, that's the sin against the Holy Spirit, the blaspheming it. Yes, so, so these teachers have got Jesus wrong and are actually blaspheming the Spirit by accusing Jesus of being satanic. And so, you know, and that's what Jesus is saying. All of this evidence doesn't point to me being possessed. It points to me being God, you know. And if you don't, if, you, if you're kind of going to deny that, then you're denying the very work of God. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, verses 31 to 35 and another uh, the, the, we go back to the original story. So that's the, that's, the, that's the meat in the middle of the sandwich. And now we're back at the start. And his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my brother, my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now, Ian, how do we come back in these verses to the original charge that his family think he's crazy? So you had, you know, kind of, we, we left them kind of on their journey to, to go and seize him. We, we had this other story kind of implanted in the middle. And we're coming back to that they've arrived, basically. And, you know, what, what they see there is a huge crowd and Jesus kind of in the middle talking to people. How does Jesus redefine family relationships in these verses? It kind of sounds a little bit like a hippie commune to me, to, to me, you know, in kind of terms of... Well, it sounds rather harsh towards his mother and his brothers and sisters. Sounds very harsh, doesn't, mm, doesn't mm, it? Mm. Um, and he's not getting rid of uh, kind of family relationships. He's not saying that, as you would expect, kind of a, a cult leader or something like that, which is what often cult leaders do, don't they? Yes, the whole idea is that they remove people from their family environments so that they are completely uh, captured, as it were. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But Jesus doesn't do that. He, he, rather than kind of doing away with it, he extends those relationships by saying it's people who are in the kingdom uh, who are my mother and brother's you know, and, and sisters as well. You know, it's not. It's not just. It's not just the, my family relationship. It's extended to even beyond blood relationships. Mm. So, why was the family so important then in ancient culture? Yeah, this is one of the big things here, isn't it? That the family was everything because family was where you, you found protection, both physically but also economically, and family was where you had your work. You kind of and so. You know, everything is based around the family. And, and most people uh, didn't move very far away or even travel that far away from their family units. And so they would you know, get married and, and you would attach another house or another dwelling onto your parents' house or you would live very close by in the same village or not very far away. And so family was everything. And then Jesus is saying, he's not getting rid of family here and this is what we need to be important, you know, kind of importantly going to say but he's extending that to beyond blood relations. Mm. That was my very next question. How does Jesus' kingdom redefine family? Yeah, so he's, he's, he's not saying, you know, kick your mother and brothers out, they're not important anymore. He's not saying that at all. He's just he's saying that in this new kingdom that, I've, that I'm bringing in, uh, that those other people in the kingdom are so close to you in family relationships. Because you think about when, if you have a family that's very close you have to define yourself in that family and you define it by your closeness, but you also define it by who's not in the family. And Jesus is saying, we're not going to do that. We're not going to define it uh, kind of in this close family unit. We're going to extend it out to say, actually, no, other people can come and join in our family. 
kind of in a bigger sense. Mm. In what senses can those around us think we're crazy for following Jesus? I don't know if you you involved in any church at, at any point of time you see that people are crazy <laughs> kind of for following Jesus. A bit weird. You know, we don't quite fit in with rest of society, do we? I'm speaking yeah, for myself. Uh, uh, well, no, I, I, I hold my hand up and say, okay, yes, I've had people think I'm crazy for following Jesus. Yeah, happy to admit that. Not necessarily members of my family. No, I, I think that when you live for a different end, anyone that doesn't live for that same end will think that you're crazy. When you're willing to give time, money, energy to something that they think is worthless, they will think that you're mad if they're doing that. And so when we live for this kingdom, it's because that's what it ultimately is, is that we're living for a different kingdom. It's going to seem so odd to those people around us. You must have had uh, work with students from overseas who've had this problem. Yeah, they find it very difficult when they go back home, mm. you know, kind of to their home countries. And we do often, we would spend a bit of time just talking that through, what's it going to look like uh, to kind of live in this new way in your new culture. And they find, there's a, it, particularly in some places, it's very difficult because you need to keep up the ancestral gods, you know. Because oh, of course, yes. So you need to keep providing the sacrifices for your ancestors so that they can kind of, I don't know how that works, but kind of live on in, in, some, mm. in some way and appease them. Uh, and if you don't do that, you know, it's going to bring misfortune on our house. And so there's a lot of pressure on them, particularly from within their families, to do that. How, how, do, they get, how do people get around situations like that? Well, I think it, it depends on the individual often. And some, some of them are very staunch and say, no, there's no way I'm going to do that. And they prepare their parents before that. Others, sometimes they just feel the pressure and they, and they cave and they find it very difficult. Mm. Okay, well, we've come to the end of this passage. Uh, and uh, what, have we, what have we found out? Maybe we should do a little quick review of Mark. What have we found out so far, Ian, about who Jesus is in Mark's gospel? Well, who do you think Jesus yeah. is? That's precisely how he sets it up, isn't it? Yeah, mm. and that, this is the thing that we said in an earlier episode. It's kind of like a detective novel in some ways. We're working out who Jesus is. Now, we know who he is, kind of sitting on the outside as the reader. But the people in the story are kind of working it out. And and you kind of read it and think, how did they not realise what was going on here? Yeah, And that, that would be a bit disingenuous, I think, to kind of read it like that. But um, it, it is, we're working out that Jesus is the Son of God. God come, on, come to earth to bring his kingdom. And, and what sort of what things have we seen about the Lord Jesus' power and authority so far? Because Mark presents him very much as a king with kingly authority, doesn't he? And indeed, as God. Well, he he gets rid of the occupiers, so we see you know he's getting rid of the the unclean spirits out of people. The, you know, kind of as you know as he enters, there's this kind of the, the occupation of sin and Satan is kind of being undone, and so that that's one of the big things you see is that, that the. Uh, kind of the, the occupiers in the land are, are kind of getting driven out, but also the fruit of sin is being done away with. As this new kingdom is preached, uh, what do we see? We see Jesus being he- healing people as well, to the point where people are kind of just so many people are coming to him that they, 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 he's afraid he's going to be crushed. So he you know, goes out on a boat. You know, it's kind of like it's amazing how um, his fame is growing, but at the same time. Jesus keeps withdrawing further and further away from people. Mm. And, and we've seen, uh, as we've seen today, opposition, intense opposition forming very, very quickly by people we wouldn't expect to be opposed to Jesus. No, you have the, the religious insiders and his family members. You know, we, 
you know, and you know, we'll see how how this kind of plays out in time. Uh, but it is interesting, isn't it, that you, the, those religious insiders who you would think would be expectantly waiting for Jesus to come are the very people that oppose him most fiercely. Mm. All right then, uh, Ian Reid, the Reverend Ian Reid of King's Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston North, New Zealand. Thank you so much for your time. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. If you want to help us make more great episodes like this one, you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God Story Podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude, plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com slash godstorypodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash godstorypodcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.